Okay, so Kasim should join us, and I hope he doesn't have trouble finding us. I'm going to go back to – ah, he is. He's ready. He's there. He's there. So Kasim's going to be coming. Uh, um, now that uh, other people can see us on Facebook, Kasim Gaines is in the house. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, and it's 11 a.m. Hey, you just missed all the behind-the-scenes fumbling and trying to get the tech down right. And oh, and I – and I love a good behind the scenes, so that, yeah, that's too yeah. bad. Yes, yeah, always <laughs> phrase those things closer together. Uh, <laughs> so we, you know what, hey, now. Chris, we got to do it. We got to do it now. It's eleven. We got to do it. You ready? You ready? Are you pumped? Well, I'm just waiting for a countdown. That's fine. And it's five, four, three, two, uno. Hello, and welcome <laughs> to Tell the Damn Story live on. <laughs> This is the podcast that celebrates the trials and tribulations, the challenges and joys of creativity, and hopefully along the way helps you decide how you want to tell your damn story. And today we're going to speak about, well, a budding legend, ladies and gentlemen. He almost of fact, came back his to, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, properly celebrate this person, we had to uh, display all of his massive works. Like Infinitum. Whoa, <laughs> that's, that's where I thought you were going. That's, that's from Tell a Damn Story co-founder Tim Fielder. And we have been talking sweetness about this fantastic trade paperback every week now. If we go to the other side, however, the other side then we see the creations of a legend of pop culture. In the making, That's right. Because his he collection is, is growing. The transcriber of the tales. We're talking about Inside Pee Wee's Playhouse. We're talking about a Christmas story. A Christmas story behind the scenes of a holiday yes, class. Behind the scenes. We're we talking about We Don't Need Roads, the making of Back the Fu- to the Future trilogy, which is now in several, several, several languages. We're talking about Dark Crystal, the ultimate visual history. We're talking about articles on uh, Howard the Duck and so many other pop culture people. And And? we're talking about the latest work, which we're going to talk about in detail today. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about... Who are we talking about? That's Cassine! Cassine! Gaines, 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 Gaines! (laughs) And who is Cassine Gaines? going to have to suffer this hour through with well <laughs> his main torturer will be quite familiar to him and has been torturing him for years and years and that's me chris ryan and uh i've been um a writer for quite a long time um i have this past year uh made the journey from uh indie publication to finally being Traditionally published in uh, California scheme in this, uh, the 2020 Butchercon anthology. And a matter of fact, uh, the one and only Art Taylor, uh, edited it. And at his, um, uh, Sisters in Crime webinar last, yesterday, uh, The Art of the Short Story, very fun title. Uh, he was generous enough to, to shout out my short story. So thank you, Art. Hey, hey, and, hey. and you know, you might think that's enough, but no. <laughs> we need someone else, ladies and gentlemen. Do we really? <laughs> it seems like we got a lot right now. Really 
tell the damn story. What we need is the legendary comic book scribing, iconic teenage detectives writing, great underused character developing, and globetrotting, and I mean globetrotting, creator of the world-renowned Aaron Blackjack Day, the African-American soldier of fortune set in the 1930s, whose adventures reflect today's problems. We're talking about the one, the only, the iconic the spiritually fulfilling, oh my God, ladies and gentlemen, it's Alex Simmons. <laughs> hey there, hey there, hi there, ho there. We're as welcome as can be. Okay, good, good morning, good morning. Yes, it, you know, I can, I can go way back too, because I was way back before you guys were even here. So there you go. Kasim, you're right you about stuff. Me. I got here first on, but that's beside the point. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the first ever ever in the history of humankind tell the damn story facebook live special edition program this is this it's is exciting this. to be live there's yes. like a different energy it's like yes. it's, exciting. it's exciting to be alive because all the other times what are we dead yeah <laughs> <laughs> just sitting they, there yeah they don't get to see all this nonsense usually you know we do have tapes but you know you'll have to pay for those but here we yeah. are and thank you to everybody who's joined us here today we have so much to cover uh, on a special occasion, which involves not only pop culture, films, and television, all that, uh, but also a lot to talk about in terms of writing techniques, writing experiences, creativity, uh, and, and just, just two tons of good stuff that we're going to pack into this hour plus. And, and by the way, folks, if you stick around uh, periodically, intermittently, however you want to look at that, we're going to take hey. some questions from you. You know, you're going to pop yes. them into the chat into the chat on Facebook right there. Just pop them right in. And we will be answering those questions as we go. Uh, and we might save some of the more, you know, really intense ones for towards the end of the show. But we got, like I said, we got a lot to do. So we always start out by saying, what the heck have you been up to this past week? So Chris, hit all it. Right. I go very quickly. First of all, I saw episode seven of WandaVision, which is fantastic. And it's got all these. Oh, wait, I can't talk about it. I didn't see it. Don't Alex spoil it. Don't spoil it. Didn't do his homework. So we're hey, going to hey, do it. Hey. You know what's going to be really great is that, you know, every microsecond, every frame of this has been spoiled on the Internet already. But <laughs> Alex hates spoiling stuff. So next week. We're going to talk about episode seven and eight right. in a non-spoily way, Which even though it had been spoiled for eight days by then. So that's you know, fine. You know, but, just to take a quick second, you know, Chris, Cassine, you know, we know what work we put into getting something just right when we're building suspense or whatever in a story and how we layer things. And I think it's really foul to come in there after, you know, I've seen something and then just spill it all out, you know, in some sort of, you know, constipated way um when somebody worked very hard to build to all that i want the audience to be able to go check it out and have that experience so, yeah, I so you want to give it a little more time before yes yes so then by more. next week we can talk spoilers yeah yeah right then we can just ruin the whole <laughs> right. thing okay what so. else have i been doing this week well, i gotta tell you i have been traveling oh 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 yes oh yes let me get ready i for visited this. with um Mystery Writers of America for their um, monthly meeting, for their reading, which was fantastic. Two different events. Um, I am part of a Mystery Writers of America's critique club, so we met. 
I also went to Horror Writers of America. Their reading, wow, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Sisters in Crime. I was down, I guess, the uh, Maryland, that area, that area uh, way, with the art of the short story. Um, had a great time on all of these things, and I never left this space right here. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, right. I've been family locked him in. <laughs> and traveling abroad, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. There's no limitations on me. I have been all around these great states uh, and these shelves. <laughs> plenty plenty are, of elbow room there, right? That's right. If you are a creative uh, person, we mostly talk about aspiring writers and that kind of stuff. Joining these associations and one that fits your genre is something that I would uh, highly recommend. Um, I have to rejoin Sisters of Crime. I haven't been in that in a while. Um, and the horror writers, I, I need to get a couple more credits and then I can get in there. And uh, mystery writers, uh, uh, I'm enjoying more and more every time. Um, there's, you know, there's the man Zoom meetings. They're like, oh, not another Zoom meeting. But when you start talking or, or doing readings and then talking shop, man, there's so much you can learn and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. But that's been my wild, detailed glamorous life this week <laughs> how about you alex simmons okay well all right can so you match the yeah. savoir faire of ryan hair <laughs> ryan's hair right okay fine sure what, what's left of it um yeah well i i had a little you know a little action um one thing i i know um, my own shit. thing to do i will not spoil but i will say that there was a a meeting on on uh tuesday of this week that was very profound um it was a pitch that was done uh, with a couple of uh, producers and writers regarding a property of mine. And I have to say, like I said, I can't talk about all of it. I wish I could. But what I have to say is, you know, that that you've done your job to the best of your ability when you're sitting there hearing people talk about something you created, but they're pitching it to someone else and you get excited and want to see the show. You know, I'm sitting there going, damn, this sounds pretty cool. And, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the thing that I, you know, so I had that that moment uh, of excitement. Of, it was almost like rediscovering my own creation through other people's eyes. And it was really exciting. And fingers are crossed and candles are lit. And, you know, we've sacrificed fruit to the volcano and whatever else we could do, uh, you know, to try and make this all happen. And I really hope that this this show, Tell the Damn Story, will be one of the places I can talk about this more openly and freely uh, soon. The other thing I did this week, it was pretty cool. I mean, just actually it was mind-blowing in a lot of ways, was, um, as, as some of you know, you listen to the show, um, I also teach uh, freelance. I teach uh, screenwriting at the New York Film Academy here in New York City. And, of course, because of the pandemic, we do this via Zoom 99% of the time. So uh, this Monday... From 9 to 2 in the afternoon, I had the remarkable and enjoyable experience of teaching 40 plus or like 45, 46 young African artists and writers. And they weren't just coming from one school in one area. They literally were coming from all over the continent at one time. I am talking to 40 plus young people and, and the real, 
the real like mind blowing moment of that. I mean, because you know, one that's something fantastic to to realize that all these young people are are talking. I'd say nineteen to twenty something are talking to me about writing and they're they're there to learn and all that. And I'm you know I get a, a, the opportunity to share with them. But at one point we're talking about character driven stories, and I wanted to give them a, a film that they could reference to help underscore the point I was trying to make. And in that split second, I'm thinking, young Africans all over Africa, what film? And I didn't want it to be superhero stuff. I wanted it to be slice of life, more ordinary people kind of thing. I'm trying to think, what film that they might have seen or have access to and blah, 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 blah. And one voice goes, yeah, Professor Simmons, can I, can I make a suggestion? And I said, sure, yeah, go ahead. It says, 12 Angry Men. And I went, the 1957 version or the 1997 version? He says, oh, the 1950s, the classic one, the classic one. I said, yes, yes, yes. So it was, it was, there were hands that went up. Some of them had already seen that one. Others were taking notes. And it was just one of those moments where it was uh, this massive connection was made that I just, I was just like flying for hours afterwards. So that was, that was, that was my week. That was yeah, part of my week. Well, first of all, he he left me and all my Zooms in the dust, God bless him, <laughs> gathering students from all across Africa. That just shows why he is, and we do mean globetrotting. I know it sounds like pure hype every time I introduce him, but here's an example. That's why I make it. But the other thing I love is that it, it kind of comes around full circle because our guest today, Kasim Gaines, yes, only a few short years ago, directed a version of 12 Angry Men in which he called 12 Angry People. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about why this, I was originally a kind of a play, uh, yeah. a screenplay for, you know, for the 1950s, why it's still resonating clearly across the globe because we have the globe-trotting adventure, <laughs> Alex Simmons, proving that to us. <laughs> And then you chose it, and and one of the things that I got to say about Cassian Gaines is that he always um, chooses the material that he does for plays with uh, the the students in our high school with uh, amazing depth of thought and feeling so that it's uh, a play and a challenge and all that sort of stuff, but it resonates thematically throughout Mm -hmm. the school, and that's one of the the many ways he has – surpassed whatever I ever did as director of the play. Um, but talk to us about 12 Angry People. Why, why you selected that, sir? Oh, you know, I think it's um, such a great story about not only standing up, you know, being, being, not being afraid to be the lone person, you know, in a crowd to stand up and, and advocate. Um, but also I think taking a step back and not having a rush to judgment, not letting your emotions um, determine the fate of someone else's life, you know, <laughs> taking a moment to pause and sort of say, let's reconsider what's so bad if we, we chew this over a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this, this certainly wasn't my intention at the time that I directed it, which was a couple of years ago and certainly not when they, they wrote it, but I'm thinking now about even like social media, you know, 12 angry men, 12 angry people is sort of a call to push on the brake a little bit, 
Let's reconsider. Let's talk about it. Let's consider all thousand angry tweets. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There's there's another version out there to to be made for sure. But um, twelve pissed off. Great. I think it's yeah. (laughs) And I think it's great too that that when um, I've just always loved courtroom courtroom stuff. You know, jury stuff. You know, Judge Judy is a is a big. It's a big role model. I don't know if I would say role model, but I love watching Judge Judy. Um, I just love just being able to take a moment and consider the facts. And I think that they get to the truth in that case. I would would recommend, um, and then I want to go back to Cassine. I would recommend watching the the trial of Chicago 7, Aaron Sorkin's. uh, I I I want to see it. Yeah, it's really, really fantastic. Really well done. Um, and again, quoting drama and all that stuff. Can, but, can I throw in one quick one before you go back from. to the scene? This is for pure entertainment, but also for mystery lovers. Witness for the prosecution. Oh, yeah. That's good. And I can see Cassine. You haven't seen it, have you? No. you got to see no. the original version with Charles Lawton and um, uh, Elsa Lancaster and, and uh, oh, God, Tyrone Power. And Marlena Dietrich. You got to see the original version. There have been adaptations, but the original one. And also, ladies and gentlemen, yes. welcome to on Facebook Live, Alex Simmons's Time Machine. We'll be back to that <laughs> show later. <laughs> Marlena Dietrich. There's a. Yeah. Hey, you're not sure bringing Marlena. Yeah. Oh, look at me. Now I actually am like joining yeah, this. I was like kind of like faded out there before. But that's, that's okay. We can still what? see you. One of the things I want to talk about, we were talking about 12 Angry Men or for your production, 12 Angry People, and about how it's, you know, it's about, you know, standing up and um, and pointing out uh, what you believe in or or holding on to a fact that is being overlooked. And -hmm. I think that's a great segue to talk to Cassine about his latest work, Footnotes. Mm. Which, in writing and researching and writing and now publishing this, I would say that you have really done that kind of work. You stood up and said, this, this right here deserves and demands more attention than it has in history. And uh, I I always have uh, admired your work and all that, but I was really impressed with you taking, well, I mean, this is something that people are going to have to discover mm. and uh, and for you to kind of throw down the gauntlet and say, yeah, this is what I'm doing for my next look. Very, very, very successful pop culture material. <laughs> and now I'm going to take whatever cachet I've developed from there and say, yeah, but you have to see this too. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about footnotes? Sure. Thank you. And I, I appreciate that. Um, so footnotes is, it's a history, but I sort of consider it like a group biography of these four artists, Noble Sissel, U.B. Blake, Floynoy Miller, and Aubrey Lyles, who came together in 1921 and formed a very tenuous alliance to create a show called Shuffle Along. And Shuffle Along um, ended up being the first all-Black Broadway show, and not just in terms of performers, but also in terms of the creative team. So everyone who worked on the production uh, was Black. They were over on 63rd Street, which is outside of the purview of Times Square, 
but because of the ticket price they were able to command, you know, it, it qualified as Broadway. Um, and in fact, the show was such a success that 63rd Street actually became a one-way street because of traffic that was caused by this production. Um, and I think to, to get to Chris's point about why I felt like this was a show that deserved to be really remembered, um, for me, sort of a, a key, there were two key facts early on that really got me to get my hooks in this story. One was that Josephine Baker, at 15 years old, auditioned to be a part of this company before she had really done anything of note. And she was rejected from being in the show because for one reason she was too young, but for another reason she was too dark to be in the show in terms of her skin color. So while it was an all black production, there was still colorism. Um, there were certainly uh, women performers that were considered too dark. And even though they were amazing vocalists, they had to perform from the wings and sing because the, you know, the thought was that they wouldn't be accepted on stage. Um, and Josephine Baker ultimately snuck into a touring company of Shuffle Along. And um, she was such a standout, even in the chorus, that there were reviews that were written saying, you have to go see the show because of the sixth chorus girl from the right in this number. <laughs> you know, literally that, that level wow. of specificity pointing out Josephine Baker and she ended up joining the main company and almost the rest was history. Um, but the other thing that really got me interested in this was Langston Hughes in 1921 or 1922 was considering where to attend college and his father, he had an opportunity to study abroad and his father wanted him to go. And Langston Hughes really put his foot down and said, no, actually I want to go to Columbia in New York and the main reason why he wanted to go to New York was because he had heard of Shuffle Along and he wanted to go see it. And so um, Langston Hughes credits Shuffle Along with kickstarting the Harlem Renaissance. And so if it's good enough for Langston Hughes, it was certainly good enough for me. <laughs> Very cool. Let me, let me ask a follow-up question, if you don't mind. Why this I don't mind. book? <laughs> why this book in 2021? Why this one now? Uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One, um, 2021 is the centennial of Shuffle Along debuting on Broadway. Mm -hmm. um, but then also, I think it's interesting because right now, I mean, so when I started working on this book, I certainly did not know it was going to come um, a summer after we had racial uprisings and racial violence in the United States. Um, it's, it's interesting because in 1921, the uh, creators of this show were dealing with the economic effects of the global pandemic of 1918. And so I was writing a lot about the pandemic of 1918 wow. while, while in COVID, um, <laughs> writing, on, writing this, um, you know, there, there was this great period of racialized violence around the time that the show came out. The Tulsa Massacre was one week after Shuffle Along opened on Broadway. And so while I was working on this book, um, there were all of these things happening outside that I didn't realize would really take newfound relevancy um, when I initially pitched it and started working on it. But I think it sort of speaks to how History works in cycles. 
Um, we do things that are incredibly important and they get forgotten, you know? And one of the things that I always mention in talking about the title is it really started to come to me because I felt like there were all of these people that had done such amazing things. And Shuffle Along is really just a case study of all of these great works of art that exist for a period of time and then sort of get forgotten. Um, and if you are lucky, maybe your name fades, but your work remains and your mm -hmm. influence remains. And, you know, we, we can all do worse in life than becoming historical footnotes. You know, that for, for any of us, that would be a great honor. And I, and I think that's, you know, I sort of wanted to reclaim that sort of footnote as a pejorative and sort of elevate it to say, sure, these people have been forgotten, but they, uh, they still really did something really fantastic. You know, I, I would say that, you know, it's interesting, too, as you bring all of that forward, that we're in Black History Month. And, and one of the things that tends to happen in this 28-day <clears throat> blip on the map is that the most recognized, most repeated names and events of Black history are usually brought back again and again and again and again. What's forgotten are things like this. What's forgotten are, are, are the fact that a lot of, and when I say small, I don't mean to take from anybody, but a lot of ordinary people who had maybe small movements or did events or brought about something that was measured as small compared to, but they did these things, they had these accomplishments, they made these advancements, and then there's no record. There's, there's little or, or, or no record of it. I'll mention something towards the end of the show that your book makes me think of, and it was something I discovered last year. And yet, for all the years I've been looking into our history for different reasons, in particular for my series, I never saw anything about this other thing. So what you're talking about, the Tulsa massacre, I'd heard about for, you know, in, in advance, a few other things, but you doing your work, you doing this book, you choosing that particular theme to explore really does say there's so much more in our past, black or whatever, but so much more in our past that has not been unearthed. And if there's any reason to look forward to Black History Month or look forward to hitting a library, hitting you know research sources and platforms, it's to find those gems to find those hidden moments in life and in history that would help affirm or reaffirm our faith in ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I wonder that, um, like The Watchmen on HBO, resurrecting <clears throat> and educating so many people, especially the paler population, about the existence of this horrible moment in uh, American history. Um, here you've taken it on your shoulders to shine a light on a, uh, a moment when uh, creativity won out, you know. Um, I know what the producers uh, and writers of Watchmen wanted to accomplish with uh, Watchmen and with, you know, opening it with the uh, massacre, the Tulsa massacre. Um, 
having written this, because I know there's so many different things we do when we create, right? But having written it, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, over uh, Hassin's shoulder is the cover of Footnotes, if you haven't seen it. Yeah, well, that's why I gave him that close-up before. I've got a, here we go. There's a, a close-up. <laughs> it's time for the Footnotes close-up. Do, it, do it again. Do it again, so, with Hassin. Here we go. Beautiful stuff here we right go. there. Um, here we so go. what are you hoping people will get out of uh, this reading? I know you always write in a very entertaining uh, page turner kind of way. Uh, it's full of information, but always full of life. It's one of the great things about your writing style. What do you hope people will get out of footnotes? I think, um, I mean, there are a lot. I mean, it, it's hard. And actually, you know, the last section of the book, I, I call it, a, it's really the epilogue, in a lot of ways to me is um, almost the thesis of the book. I mean, I don't know if, if if this makes sense. But in a way, I almost feel like the entirety of the book is almost a prologue for the, the thesis, which is just some, some questions or some things to consider that I kind of want to leave people with. Because what I end up doing is I pull way forward to today. And I look at um, why is it that a show like Shuffle Along that... Um, for as progressive as it was, as I said before, there were issues with colorism. There were blackface comedians in the show, black actors in blackface. There were there was stereotypical humor. There was also amazing jazz music and also um, real love plot that was not played for humor. Like, you know, it was this very weird amalgamation of um, what Du Bois would call like the new Negro and, you know, the sort of stereotypical humor coming together in this one moment. And as a result, Shuffle Along has never really been revived in its original iteration. I mean, it's when you read it, it would never, it, it does not live up to today's standards of what is acceptable. It will never be on Broadway, I'm certain, in its original iteration. It, it almost can't be by, by definition. Um, and so one of the things that ends up contributing to this show becoming, you know, I'll, I'll use the word canceled, quote unquote, but, you know, this show sort of becoming forgotten is that in the 1950s specifically, um, Pearl Bailey was set to star in a revival of Shuffle Along. She had not seen the script. She attached herself to the project. And when she finally got the script, she made a very public show of saying, this is horrible. I can't believe anyone would ever expect me to do this. Um, no one should go see this show. No one should ever talk about this show. This is a dark part of our past. And, you know, I can't believe anyone ever put this on stage. This is, this is an embarrassment for Black people. Um, to which the creators sort of said, you, you can make a strong argument that you don't get Pearl Bailey on stage without something like Shuffle Along back, right. you know, in 1921. And they were really quite, you know, offended by her, her sentiment. Um, so my, my point is, how is it that we're able to stage shows that have numbers like There's Nothing Like a Dame and, you know, all, like shows that have sexist songs, you know, racist songs, um, you know, homophobic elements. You know, we're able to continue to stage these things in high schools around the nation, community theaters, on Broadway, and yet, because of sort of the history of Black people in this country, a lot of the 
concessions, I'll say, that Black people had to make in order to make it 100 years ago um, are, are horribly uh, stereotypical and don't live up. And as a, in, a, in a sense, they get pushed aside in the sake of progress. You know, it's better to not look at someone like Stephen Fetchett or look at something like Gone with the Wind with Hattie McDaniel or something like that. We sort of push those things aside. And actually, I think about The Little Rascals, uh, which which we I think we've all three talked about. But it's definitely Chris and I have talked about many times where there's there's different reads of it. Right. You can look at someone like Buckwheat or Stymie or Farina and you can say those are horrible characters or portrayals of black people. You can also look at those shorts and say, you had black and white kids in each other's homes playing together. Um, uh-huh. You know, no one really made too much of a fuss of it, you know, and this was back in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Uh, you know, right. in a way, it was incredibly progressive. So simultaneously, the same th- it was both at the same time. Yeah. 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 And so I, I think that's one of the things I kind of want um, people to, to take is sort of what. How do we treat history, in, in, specifically when it is uncomfortable? Um, because sometimes I think we we rush to sort of bury things and not think of what the long term implications are of that of that burying. I you know, want I'm, to- I'm just going to jump in because a we do have some questions, uh-huh. <clears throat> and I also wanted to ask uh, uh, one of our, my good buddies is is uh, watching this. Uh, Maureen, hi there. I'm just going to say your name. Uh, if you could help me, I'm trying to collect the questions that are coming in from Facebook, but it's doing something weird. So if you could send those to me in an email or something, that would be great. Meanwhile, Kasim, uh one of the questions for you was, were you able to find any film clips or stills uh, from the show? Um, you know, and, and are they in your book? So there are some photos in the book, I think uh, maybe about a dozen or so, maybe uh, 15. Um, and which is different for me too, because, you know, if you look at the books behind Chris, they're heavily illustrated. They're kind of big coffee table books, um, but there are some photos in the book. Um, the show was never recorded. This was 1921. Um, there's no cast recording. Soundtracks weren't really a thing back in 1921. But fun fact is... The first black artists or black, yeah, I guess people, black artists to um, have a sound recording on film to make a talkie were Cecil and Blake, who were the musicians in Shuffle Along. And in fact, um, I, I don't know if I would fully go this far, but some people even say that they coined the term talkie because uh, they participated in an experimental film in 1922 before the jazz singer um, where one says to the other, um, this is, oh goodness, what are we going to say? Um, oh, this is, uh, this is a singy. And the other one says, no, this isn't a singy. This is a talkie. And then they go into their, their thing. And that's, I think the first, uh, time on film that someone refers to a sound film recording as a talkie. Mm. So there are some, there are some <laughs> films, uh, there are some, some photos in the book. Yeah. Okay. You, um, you have a couple of clip, uh, comments here that tie in to a question I have for you. So, uh, Dan, Daniel Lynch says, uh, the opening on the Watchmen shocked me and made me go and research the Tulsa massacre. 
And Maureen Britt says the scenes in Lovecraft Country on the Tulsa Massacre were also very intense and terrifying. Uh, there we have uh, pop culture uh, in- inspiring more research. So let me talk to one of the pop culture mavens here. Uh, do you hope that footnotes sparks more research or do you feel like you've done the research for them in this book? Oh, I, I think, I mean, I hope I've done the research to some extent, but I also hope that people go into more detail for themselves. And I'll, I'll give you just a, a, a example. Um, the Harlem Hellfighters, the 369th Infantry, mm-hmm. all black Italian, um, Noble Sissel, one of the creators of Shuffle Along, was one of the people who was uh, one of the um, sergeants, actually, of that infantry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this whole chapter, and Chris, you'll, you'll appreciate this, is, there was this whole chapter in the book where we go to France, and mm-hmm. they are playing they started working on the vaudeville circuit and they kind of get interrupted because America calls and they decide that they're going to enlist and they're going to go to France. And we spend a whole chapter abroad. And um, the reason why I say Chris will appreciate this is that I loved, I fell in love with this, this tangent. Like I just, I loved being abroad. I loved writing about being in France. And uh, one of the, the big notes I got from the editor was I, <laughs> I'm so fortunate to have read it now cut it in half. It's, too, it's way oh, too long. It's too long of a, it's oh my. Of, a, of a thing. And so the chapter um, is, is half the size of what it once was. But the point being is that there's another half of a chapter out there for you to research That's on actually, your own. There's more there information out there, I promise. Um you it's know, uh, so it's going to be on the DVD extra, right? The, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, the <laughs> footnotes. <laughs> so uh, we need to interrupt for a moment because we noticed that um, uh, one of the people who have just come on to check us out on Facebook Live is our co-founder, Tim Fielder. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what he looks like. Yeah. And it's time for yet another promotion of <laughs> Tim Fielder's Infinitum. Yeah. And epic trade paperback that is beautifully uh, uh, painted and illustrated. Great story that goes through the history of the world and beyond with a great Afro-futuristic feel to it. And if you haven't gotten it yet, ladies and gentlemen, Infinitum. Infinitum, Nitum, 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 everywhere. And Let me l- mean everywhere. Yeah, and and Every actually, uh, Tim, Tim has Tim has a, a big fan who's also on uh, watching uh, the show today, and she, uh, Carla, and she has a question for Cassine because obviously, Chris, you know, Cassine's here. We just have to take yes. our seat to the back of the room. Tim, promotion is over, bro. Yeah, really. Fifteen seconds. Yeah. Yeah. So, Cassine, Carla says, what is your favorite collaboration? Now, I'm not quite sure what she meant by collaboration, but maybe you do know what she means. But either way, she's asking what maybe she also means. What's the favorite book that you worked on? Because obviously you've you've worked on you had to interview a lot of people or whatever. Carla, if you want to elaborate on your question, go ahead. But Cassine, in the meantime, what do you have to say? I mean, it's it's such a cliche, right? To say like, you know, it's it's like asking to choose children, right? You know, it's like um, I mean, I, I'm really really proud of this book, um, primarily footnotes, primarily because it's so different 
from everything that I've done before. Um, also, I, I love theater. I, I've always loved theater. And I've while I've written a lot about film and television, I've never really had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to write about a show or write about the theater scene. And so um, this was just a completely different process. Like his truth. This is a really I'm different go process the, for me. I'm going to go to a couple of questions we have. Wait, wait, he, he, sure. you're, you're, I think uh, if you're listening to him, you're getting a delay because you're talking over his response. So oh, I think, no, 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 I, I'm good. I'm okay. choosing footnotes for right now, but that might change. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> right, you so go. we have a couple of questions in the comment section of Facebook Live. Go, go, uh, go. Marie Britz is back with another question. She wants to know, where are these, all these books and footnotes, where are they available? Is it Amazon, Barnes Noble? Where can we get them? Your house. They are wherever <laughs> books are. <laughs> Believe me, they are. <laughs> They're here. <laughs> I Sometimes I think it's like... um pursuit of happiness you know how he has all of those medical machines and he has to sell them yeah. you know i've got let me go into my garage i've got i've got quite a, some boxes of books there um but there wherever books are sold i i i'm i'm um i've been discouraged from naming any place so any place books are sold, sold. go wherever you, you want to find for them. some reason you cannot find them three knocks a pause and then three <laughs> more knocks on Cassine's garage we can hook you up. <laughs> That's true, too. That's Check true it too. out. Check it out. Check it out. Okay. We have, I want to um, mention something. I forgot yes. to mention. The song, I'm Just Wild About Harry, you know, the, the standard yeah. is from is from Shuffle Along. So if you uh -huh. know that song, and oh. this just goes to show how there some of this does get picked up in the DNA of, of culture, but you don't always know where it came the, from. The origin of it, yeah. right, where it came from. So yeah. just wanted to mention that zach has a great follow-up for that this is zach showfield now and he wants to know was there a particular moment or song in shuffle along that inspired a pivotal or favorite moment in your book oh gosh you know what that's such a great question because you don't even know how great of a question it is so there's <laughs> but a he's about to learn <laughs> Because there's a song in the show. Okay, I'm trying to think about how I want to formulate this answer. Um, so this, at its center, there are four men. The four men created this show. However, one of the major accomplishments of Shuffle Along is that it really brought Black women to the Broadway stage for the first time in a legitimate way where they weren't playing Mammies or Jezebels or something, you know, these sort of stereotypical roles. Um, and in fact, one of the creators later in life said his greatest accomplishment, he feels, is actually legitimizing the Black woman on stage. And so um, there is this song in the show um, called, If You've Never Been Vamped by a Brown Skin, You've Never Been Vamped at All, which is, which is actually... Um, you know, you can, you can, when you look at the lyrics, you can decide for yourself how to interpret that. Um, but it comes at sort of an interesting moment in the show. And I was trying to figure out in a sort of organic way how I was going to explore the various chorus women who were in the show in a way that felt like it was sort of natural to the narrative. And one of the things that came to me was when Josephine Baker really becomes a large part in the story, um, 
that's where I explore the song and also a lot of the other chorus women mm. and some of the adulterous uh, affairs that some of the creators had with some of those chorus women as well. Um, but the chapter title is Bamped by a Brown Skin. And so that actually is a, um, is a song that ended up where the narrative and the song sort of are in conversation in a really significant way. If anybody is not sure what vamped is, go look it up. More research for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things I wanted it, to make sure... It's 11.43. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's 11.43. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. No, okay. since you started it off, you beat me to it. Go ahead. You got it. Do you, do you have any more questions for Kasim? I don't have questions in front of... I'm sorry, from the audience. But yeah, there are a couple of questions that were presented earlier. Um, we have time for one or two more questions, and then we're hoping Kasim will stay around for one more feature. Right. So That's one of them is, is did you encounter, and this is a broader question, but I'm going to laser focus it on you. Considering that this wasn't like an adventure story or this wasn't the, the type of pop culture material you did before where the story, the movie, and blah, 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 had already been done and you were sort of following that trail, um, was there a point when working on this book and, and with all the research and everything that you had to do where it became very difficult or challenging and you felt um, maybe I can't get it done or maybe I'm not going to be able to do it or maybe it's not? Did you have doubts? Was there any type of blockage that you dealt with? And if so, how did you deal with it? Well, this is going to sound like a fake story, but it's not. And I'll make it quick because I know we're low on time. Um, one of the things that really helped me at a very pivotal moment was doing an episode of Tell the Damn Story. Oh, and, and, I'm, and I say that seriously because hey this is where I'm going with this, is um, I was really up against a wall and I was really struggling. And, you know, sometimes when you get into a research hole, you can just keep going and going and going. And it's hard to sort of stop and try and turn the spigot off, you know, and say, this is now what I'm going to start writing. And uh, Chris gave a writing uh, things, something that works for him really well, a writing tip for him, um, which, and I brought a, a sample as a visual aid here. I did, I did them on paper, not on index cards, but you can <laughs> see here, I did what Chris recommended on Tell the Damn Story, where I have hundreds, may, arguably, arguably thousands of index cards with the most detailed minutiae. And what I would do is I put all of my research, I went through and I went through and I took weeks, just, I stopped where I was and I wrote everything out. And then like a movie, because when you're writing something, sometimes you have to go on a little tangent. Sometimes you have to have backstory. You know, it's not always completely linear. I went through and like a movie, put all of these index cards in what I thought was the best order. And I separated them by chapter and they, they moved a little bit. It wasn't moving one index card. It was usually moving like a, a small stack and putting them somewhere else. And, and I'm telling you, it was almost like storyboards that once I sort of saw the whole picture like a movie, I was writing and just sort of there, 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 you know, and it was just going, going, going. And I, I ended up actually, once I got over that hurdle, writing it really, really quickly. I mean, I, I mean, I, I say that, um, with some humility, but I, I wrote it very quickly because I really put the brakes on 
and organized myself and organized my thoughts. And it was the, the method of something on the front, a little important thing, and then the more detail on the back and where I needed to go and what the source was. So that's, that's it. There you go. <laughs> Emily taught him something. I find her all these years. I taught him something. <laughs> I, I got to quickly say that, that Chris, that's, that's, that's two. That's a left and a right. Cause Chris was uh Kasim's teacher in high school, right? Well, in several first, classes, yeah. several classes. First in seventh grade and then throughout high school. And, yeah. uh, he has gone on to surpass me in every aspect of our relationship. I, I'm very, Which very is a proud good thing. of everything that Christine has done. Yes, we do have some more questions. Oh, um, well, let's let's do it because that was part of this moment in this in the show was Q and A. So yes, yeah, we promise. I'll try and answer quickly. I'll try. So Zach quickly. asks, um, were you worried? that there would be backlash writing about the underlying roots and subject matter around the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. Um, a little bit, maybe. And I think that the book, um, again, I talked a little bit about it before, but I think the book leaves the reader with some questions to sort of reflect on uh, themselves. And so I'm not sure exactly how it will be received, um, there's a moment late in the book where I recount a conversation between a great Broadway producer named Jack Bertel, um, who wanted to restage, he, he is white, by the way, I feel like it's relevant to say for this story. Um, he wanted to restage a production of Shuffle Along in 2002, the original production. He had discovered the script and all the materials in the Library of Congress, and he felt like he had discovered it, and he wanted to stage it as a historical thing, but he also recognized that it may not be well received. And so he reached out to August Wilson and I actually have wow. pieces of their correspondence reprint, reprinted in the book. And August Wilson says to him, I think you will probably get some backlash for it, but I think it is important as a historical, you know, if it is presented as a historical production historical document to show what people had to you know go through um and ultimately the decision was made to not stage the show so i think when you look at the erasure of shuffle along it's easy to sort of point the finger and say you know white people suppressed the show or or wanted it to be forgotten or something like that but it's sort of it's much more complicated than that and there's lots of factors that led to the very deliberate um, burying of this show, in some cases by the, the white theater community, but in a lot of cases by the black community as well because of what was going on socially at the time. You, you know, it's funny because that's a similar, I mean, certainly not as, I don't know if I would say it's as devastating, devastating maybe it was, but there was the, the radio show, Amos and Andy, which was Freeman Gossett and I forget the other gentleman's name, but you know, two white actors doing blackface, stereotype, offensive representations of black people in black life. And yet it was the, one of the most popular radio shows on, uh, you know, on the air at that time. But eventually what happened was in the, the 50s, they did a TV series. And this time it was black actors playing all of the black roles. And there was still all kinds of friction because, again, a lot of the roles were still following a lot of the stereotypes 
And the, the, the conflict was, yes, but it's black actors who finally have a chance to have their own show on television and their lawyers and their doctors and their barbers and their this and that. Yeah, but they're playing this and they're playing that. So, you know, after a while, the show was canceled. And it was, you know, it was that kind of conundrum of you damned if you do, damned if you don't. And, then, you know, it's, it's something that we've wrestled with because there's not enough material out there that you can say, oh, well, we got some of this and some of this, and then we got all of this in the middle. It's like this or that, and that's a problem. Well, Alex, I want to add one thing to that, which is the Amos and Andy, uh, the creators, were sued by Miller and Lyles, two of the, the people that I'm writing about in Shuffle Along, for ripping off their material wow for amos and andy and as a make good to make to make the lawsuit go away the comedians were then offered the opportunity to write for the radio show oh and so that that sort of you can see how complicated it becomes you know yeah um it's a fascinating book, and uh, we highly recommend it. There are two more questions, and then one more feature. So um, and we're going to go back to Zach one more time, and if you don't mind, Kasim, uh, the question is definitely towards you, but I'm going to throw an answer out as well, okay? And then we'll go with the last question from an emerging writer. Well, he wants some advice. So first... Um, Zach asks, if you were to revive Shuffle Along on Broadway or in London, uh, what would your what would make your production different? Here's my pitch. Shuffle Further. And it's really a play about considering maybe even preparing to stage or restage Shuffle Along where you can have people like someone playing August Wilson and other having that conversation of what can and cannot be and what should and should not be and what is the true expression that needs to be said these days or something like that so that you have like a play within a play, you know, Shuffle Along would be the play within the play, but then you get all the, uh, whether it's meta or modern commentary and break it into songs and that kind of stuff as well. That's where I would go. But what would you do, Cassian Game? You know, I I think... um What's sort of interesting to me, this is a little bit of a, a punt on the question, but what's sort of interesting <laughs> to me is this idea, but it, it, it's a getting at it sort of, is... Um, he would write a I book love, that you should all read. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love fact. to explore the ways in which these conversations continue. And I think someone like, maybe in the 80s, you would say someone like Eddie Murphy. I think now you would say maybe someone like Tyler Perry. You know, you can still point to... Spike Lee has done something like this with Bamboozle, right? Like, you can point to these these sort of conversations and say, what, what is progress? That's really kind of the, the question at the heart of it. You know, representation at what cost, quote-unquote? You know, I, I don't want to say... Repre- I, I'm certainly not saying representation is bad, but is it better to have more brown people working on Broadway, even if it is in roles that 30 years from now, 100 years from now, will not live up to what is considered to be acceptable. And a great example is, you know, there was an article I read recently that said um, Broadway is simultaneously more diverse and more segregated than ever. That you have a lot of shows where 
all of the main characters are white still, but there are like more brown faces in the ensemble, certainly. And then you have like more all black shows. You have the color purple. You have something like Hamilton, which is primarily black and Latino actor. You know, you have things like that. So there isn't really a lot of mixing. It's just sort of more people are employed. And so I think um, exploring that to me is really interesting right now, which um, the book has sort of led me to, which wasn't initially my thought, but it's kind of where I'm sitting now with it. All right, lightning round. Two quick yes. answers for two quick questions. One, okay, I'll be quick. as a published author of multiple books, as you can see here, what advice would you give to a mug just starting out? And by the way, that mug is Tim Fielder, whose infinitum is now available. Um, I think the, the main thing is lightning. Sorry. Focus on your story. Focus on what interests you. Don't think about what will sell, what will be, you know, commercially viable. Tell the story that most is interesting to you, because if it's interesting to you, it will be interesting to other people as well. So do that, live in that story, and, um, and then run it by people. Put it out there. For example, Infinitum. Yeah. Available everywhere. All right. Uh, last question for you. And we thank you for talking to us about footnotes today. But the last question is not really about footnotes. It's a footnote to you. Dan asks, Dan, Dan Lynch asks, hi, he says, hi, Cassine. Any funny stories about Chris as a teacher? And I'm humiliated to pass that along. Notice, notice Chris said this is the lightning round portion. Uh, <laughs> really quick. I'm sorry. We don't have time. <laughs> okay, quick quick story is um, I saw Chris Ryan fly one time during in seventh grade when we were uh, watching Romeo and Juliet, and uh, it's the the bedroom scene where I think the scene starts with them in bed, and I think Olivia Hussey is barely covered by a sheet, and Chris as the as the the screen is turning flies through the air like Michael Jordan and covers the screen with like a book or something, you know, he just sort of blocks the screen from a bunch of seventh graders who were uh, eager to see what was happening on the other side of the screen. But that day, unfortunately, we did not. We would have to wait until we were, we were on our own time and older to very quickly experience uh, Shakespeare. Cassine's <laughs> class was uh, the class and they went down, they were taken down to see um, some production of uh romeo and juliet and they came back as you like it as you like it. well oh but they didn't like but you didn't like it and there was no, a lot of reasons so you asked to see romeo and juliet and the deal is they wanted to see the um um the, the kind of ba uh the modern one Baz Luhrmann. yeah Baz Luhrmann, right and i said i'll i'll we'll read it i'll show that to you but first you have to watch the uh the classic one and that scene's, you know, going on, and I had forgotten about that scene. I'm in the back of the classroom, and I see what's about to happen. And I go running up the aisle, and I grab Danny's uh, notebook, and that's what I used to, <laughs> to slam up again. I almost broke he the TV. Didn't I slammed he it flew. so hard. I it did was fly. I did <laughs> fly. Well, because no tenure yet. So <laughs> no tenure will make you fly. All right. So, again, ladies and gentlemen, um, Wait, we have, uh, we have, we might have one last question. 
See, that happens because we also have a couple of announcements to make. So, yes, let's let's. Uh, uh, Dan let's, let's says, the hasn't the history of what happened to Josephine Baker, a pattern of how people of color have broken through before? You are on the periphery, but you are there, and then you have to just be just incredible to break the barrier, and then there's no going back. Well, <laughs> yeah, sometimes there's forces that are trying to push us back, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, will you stay, uh, uh, For I will stay. This oh, is a, a new feature, ladies and gentlemen, and it's created, I pitched it yesterday, because, ladies and gentlemen, there's no stopping Alex Simmons. It happened twice this episode already. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to a new feature being debuted here on Facebook Live. Welcome to Alex Simmons' Time Machine. Alex, what do you want to talk to us about the far past this well, week? Well, you know, what's what's terrible is, yeah, we did this yesterday where we were talking and, and there was a, a trigger that happened. And I went, oh, and I went off on one of my little, you know, way back machine kind of tangents. I've forgotten what that was <clears throat> because there's Sunny. so many. Excuse me? Sunny. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, I just pushed the button on the yeah, time machine. <laughs> <laughs> way, 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 way back. Okay. So believe it or not, I was a child years ago and uh, without a beard. And I would watch here in New York, Channel 5, uh, there was a TV series called Wonderama. And it came on, on, on Sundays. And it was four hours, a four-hour children's show with a host named Sonny Fox. And he wasn't in a funny costume or silly makeup or any of that kind of stuff, unlike Bozo the Clown or wacky like Soupy Sales or clever and ingenious in multiple disguises like Chuck McCann. Sonny Fox wore a suit and a tie, and he had a live audience of children and for four hours came up with all kinds of topics and guests and did things with the kids, and it was, it was unbelievably entertaining. Believe it or not, okay? But he didn't sing, he didn't do magic, he didn't do any of that stuff. But for years, Sonny Fox to me was this tall, dark-haired guy who spoke to kids almost like you would expect uh, a show host or a news commentator to talk to kids and have fun. Never at any time then, nor in the multiple years since, did I ever think that Sonny Fox had a life beyond that show. <laughs> it just never occurred to me, right? So I'm on YouTube, which does serve a purpose at times, folks. It, it, is, it is beyond ludicrous. There are things there that are worthwhile. I'm on there, and I'm researching something, and I see a clip, a little five-minute clip, Sonny Fox being interviewed, in, in, you know, in 2013. And I thought, Sonny Fox, oh, wow. I mean, must be to do with the kids' show, right? So I said, five minutes, I can, I can spare that. Click, hit it. Sonny Fox was talking about his time as a POW in a POW camp during World War II in Europe. And I'm, I'm, I'm floored, first off, because the kid in me, which is still alive and kicking, goes, what? Not Wonderama, you know, but then danger? I mean, actual life-threatening danger? This was like, you know, danger Will Robinson. It, it didn't compute. <clears throat> but, of course, you know, the adult's going, damn, I never thought of that. So I watched that, and, and that story was so fascinating. 
that a little later I found it was a half hour thing. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll put that on watch later and I'll watch it later. Well, I'll watch the first 30 minutes, the first minute of it. And then I'll, I'll, and so I wound up watching the whole thing. And what was mind blowing about that was he did talk about a number of things, but he got back to the POW camp. And this was the thing that blew me away. And it sort of reinforces some of what was said today. And one of the reasons I do blackjack and a, a number of other things. He talked about the fact that when he was being signed into the POW camp, which he was in for several years, um, they asked you different questions. And finally, you know, one of the questions was, what is your name? And, and he, he's Jewish. So his last name, as I understood the story, his last name would have indicated he was Jewish and he was freezing and he wanted to get in someplace warm and he was hungry. And he, so he fudged his name so that it wouldn't stand out because he really just wanted to get this done with and get in there. And he kind of expected this would be a problem. But then they hit him with a question he had, had not anticipated, which was religion, as in asking what it was. And he said, maybe it's because he felt already, I'd already, you know, uh, given up my self-respect and I couldn't go any further. You know, when I altered my name, I, that was it. That was as far as I could go. I just said Jewish. And the guy who was taking the information down was another POW. And he looked at him and he said, Protestant. And he thought, Maybe the guy didn't hear me, so he said it again, Jewish. And the guy looked at him, stone cold in the eyes, and said, Protestant, and wrote that down. And suddenly just decided, okay, you know what? You're just being whatever you're being, and I'm, I just want to get inside. I, I'm freezing. So he got, he, he let it go. Says, about a week later, a week or so later, the German soldiers, you know, and guards came and extracted all the Jews from the barracks, and took them off. It was a couple of hundred or more. He said maybe maybe about 80 or so. You know, they, they, they took them off to do hard labor. And about 80 never made it back. And he said, but that night, as he's laying there in the barracks, knowing that the only reason he's in there is because that man, that other prisoner, had written down Protestant. So he's lying there dealing with that. And he starts to hear lights are out. It's dark. He starts to hear the, some of the other prisoners talking and they're making jokes about Jews and about, you know, they're gone and blah, blah, blah. They're, they're actually making anti-Semitic remarks. And he said in that darkness and in that time, he suddenly realized that the Nazis didn't have anything over other people who were anti-Semitic. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, here's a guy who's, who all my life I only saw in that little cubicle of Wonderama as that little show host who talked to kids respectfully, had fun with them, brought people on who showed us really cool things, but it was that safe little experience. And yet maybe only 15, 20 years before that, he had lived for several years dealing with all that horror, even up to being liberated, the day of liberation, not knowing if they were gonna kill him before the Nazis ran. And he also had to live with the memory of some of the, his own fellow prisoners thinking that getting rid of his folks, his people, was no big deal. You know? And that's a part, like I said earlier, about history and the reason for researching and pulling these stories forward and putting them on the table because we have this convenient thing about forgetting 
about pushing stuff to the back, burying it under the table, under the, under the earth, whatever it is, like it didn't happen so we can rewrite to our own convenience. And that, that is not right. That ain't right. And it really is up to us creatively to talk about our life experiences, to shine a light on those stories that have, have been hidden, have not been told, and need to be retold because we should never forget about any of this. We should build for a better world not forget that we have these problems so that we can ignore them and continue them. Yeah. So, enough of the way back. I'm back. Okay. There here I go. am. I'm but back here. And gentlemen, that's 2021. One of, reasons, one of the reasons why it's worth having Alex Simmons's time machine is because <laughs> you know, he, he does have a tendency to go into some things from the path past, but he brings it in to what we need to remember today and what we need to help fuel our writing today. And even ties it into, you know, one of these superstars like Kasim Gaines and his very important work, Footnotes, which I hope you should uh, run out and order. Or can you order or do you have to pre-order at this point, Kasim? Uh, pre-order at this point, but pre-order it. Find find a pl- your favorite retailer. Pre-order. Yeah, there you go. Your favorite retailer. And, and when is the book officially out out? May 25th. May 25th. Okay. Okay. You, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I've got a, not to, not to bounce off of your thing, but there's a book that I have some work in that's coming out. We were hoping it was going to be released this month, but it's supposed to be released either in the next few days or the early part of March. Uh, so yeah, pre-order is a good thing, please. At, at, at your favorite retailer, <laughs> you know, pre-order, <laughs> pre-order Black Panther, Tales of Wakanda, please, please, please. Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. Ladies okay. And this has been fun. And this has been uh, Tell the Damn Story on Facebook Live, baby. Yeah, yeah here we are. This is what we Thank love. you guys for having Thank me. And Kasim. Oh. Yeah, okay. Oh, you have questions too, everyone who tuned in live and asked questions. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, David, you know, we do like a romper room thing here. David and Maureen and Carla. <laughs> You're all Zach doobies. Says, yeah. Zach says, don't forget one WandaVision. You're right, Zach. We we kind of glossed over it today because someone didn't do their homework. But next week, yeah, on Tell the Damn Story, episode seven and eight, without spoilers, yeah. even though both episodes will be spoiled by the entire social media, <laughs> but not by us. Not author's by work. Us. God bless it. Yes. Yeah. Um, one more thing, uh, uh, Chris and I and Cassine also. I mean, we're all teachers. We all share our love of the art that we do, and so uh, I have a boot camp starting on the twenty fourth of this month uh, called. Um, Now's the time to write the crime. There's more information on my Facebook page, Alexander Simmons. And I, I tend not to drop them here, but Chris might. So either way, you know, take a look at it. You are aspiring writers because I got some wonderful tips on how learning how to put together a mystery story, a mystery thriller story will actually help you no matter what genre you are writing. So again, uh, now's the time to write the crime. Go to my page, Alexander Simmons or Simmons Here and Now. On Facebook, you'll see a link that'll lead you to more information oh. about that. And, and Kasim, where, where can people find more about you? Uh, I'm on Facebook at Kasim Gaines, C-A-S-E-E-N-G-A-I-N-E-S, and Twitter and Instagram at the same uh, handle, and KasimGaines.com. Cool. Yes, that's because that's your in... name, right? right. Was it? That's your name, right? That's why you're... That's yes. why they can, yeah. <laughs> Don't wear it out. That's my name. Don't worry. Yeah, it's very easy. C-A-S-E-E-N. Just Google that. He comes up. 
instantly. He's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to find more information about me, I'm in the post office. It's those little write-ups on the side. <laughs> and uh, ChrisRyanWrites.com. Yes, he does. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, we're having such great comments here. Uh, we really appreciate all the uh, participation today. And, and if uh, this was, as you if can this- see... If this was that much fun for you folks, uh, let us know because we will do it again maybe one time next month. You know, we'll do it yeah, maybe we'll once share a month. Video, share it. Yeah, yeah, please share the video. Yeah, That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, please, 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 baby, baby, please. Okay, everybody, Chris, <laughs> as always, a pleasure, Cassine. I love hanging out with you. And and yes, more yes, power anytime. to you. Anytime. Okay, we'll Thank be right over. Uh, <laughs> Remember, three, three knocks, pause, three, three knocks, more pause. Knocks. <laughs> yeah, Joe sent me. Yeah. Okay, everybody, thanks very much. Take care. Have a great day. Adios, amigos. Peace. Thanks. Peace. Ciao.